Verse 1 says, I love the Lord because He hath heard my voice and my supplications. Because He hath inclined His ear unto me, therefore will I call upon Him as long as I live. What an amazing thing to know that God wants to hear our prayers. He inclines His ear. He leans leans over. He leans in to hear what I have to say and what you have to say. He's that interested. You know, this whole month is going to be dedicated. Dedicated to getting hold of the ear of God. You get a hold of the ear of God. You get a hold of the heart of God. You get a hold of what interests God. His power. You get a hold of the power of God. You get a hold of the ability of God and what He can do in our lives. So my hope with this first message is to get you to make a decision. The decision is to pray. The decision is just to start praying. There's going to be a lot of different preachers up here. And uh, I get one chance at it. And I just want you to know that prayer is a conscious choice. You know that. You make a choice to pray or you make a choice not to pray. But we have to see prayer, as Eric likes to say, as our vital breath. If we're going to open our mouth and say anything, let's talk, start talking to God. Let's start seeing prayer as, as something that our very lives depend upon. Because to be brutally honest, Christian, they do. Our very lives depend on our walk with God. And if I'm not talking to Him, and He's not talking to me, where's the fellowship? How do I know what to do? My whole life is upside down without it. You know, prayer probably is the most neglected discipline in the believer's life. We could be reading our Bible. We could be attending church. We could even be doing some good works. We could be good moms and dads. But prayer is spotty at best. Maybe a few minutes a day, if that. You know, honestly, it's hard to see us doing all these other things and not be in prayer. But prayer is the hardest discipline in a believer's life. It just seems to be that way. And for some, it's non-existent. You really don't know what it means to pray. If we were all brutally honest here today and we took a poll, how many spent time with God this morning? I don't want you to raise your hand, please. That's between you and God. But if we were brutally honest, how much time did you spend before you even came to church today in prayer? But now think for a moment because the title of the message is The Greatest Prayer. What is the greatest prayer? Just think about that. Let it simmer for a minute. But what is prayer? You know, prayer is just talking to God. I think we make it more difficult than it is. I think we're looking for words to say and all these different things when we just need to, we just need to close our eyes and bow our head and you don't even have to close your eyes. You don't even have to bow your head, you know. I'm just saying that put yourself in a posture that I'm coming before a throne of grace, as was mentioned. That I can grab, grab hold of the horns of the altar and get the strength and everything I need from my God. He's just waiting to talk to me and waiting for me to talk to Him. It's just talking to God. It's just asking. I pray you, tell me how you got to church this morning. I pray you, tell me what you had for dinner last night. It's just asking. I pray. I'm asking you, what did you eat for dinner last night? That's all prayer is. Talking to God. Asking God. If that's what it is, if that's all that it is, I mean, as 
that easy, really. It's, it's not more difficult than that. Then why is it so shunned? Why does it seem to be so boring? Why do more and more Christians spend less and less time praying? Well, you know, there's a thousand things. I don't know where, you know, I'm going down a certain path with this message, but the church is just getting farther and farther away from God. Let me just throw that out there. It's becoming more and more carnal. We're not interested in God. We're interested in us and the things of this world. But I don't want to go down that road. I mean, I am, but I'm not. There's a lot of reasons. Let me just say one is we're distracted. I'm not going to harp on these, like I said. We've been through love not the world and the things of the world. We've been all through that. But we are distracted by social media today. If you have Facebook, and look, I'm not condemning any of this, but if you have Facebook and computers and whatever, are these Snapchats, WhatsApp, I don't know, all of that stuff that goes on. I know I have email. And uh, what else do I have? Skype? But, I mean, if we have all this social stuff going on in our lives, and we can't spend any time with God. There's something the matter. Because we spend hours sometimes on this stuff. But we can't talk to God. There's something wrong with that. There is something seriously wrong with that. That's like that guy they found over in France. Did you see he walked into that iPhone store? That um, What's it called? Who makes the iPhone? Apple store. And he had a steel ball or something in his hand. With a glove on. You didn't see that. And he went into the store and he started smashing all the... You know, the iPhone stores, they have all the displays there. He started smashing them all. I thought, maybe he wants to pray more. Yeah. Maybe he said, that's it, I'm smashing it all. <laughs> Get your bowling ball out and smash it. If it's keeping you from talking to God, we're distracted. You know, the Bible says in 1 John five twenty one, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. And he closes out the book. We have idols in our lives. Not God. They're in our pocket. They're idols. They're just distracting us. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Now, all these things will be added unto you. That's food and clothes and all the things that may be. It's not really a big distraction to want to have clothes and, and water and food. And, and God takes care of us. But there's a lot of other things in the world that are distracting us. But we're to seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. We're not doing it. We don't have any time. In a world of time-saving conveniences, we have microwaves and we have microwave dinners. You pop it in there, bam, three minutes, you're eating. You know? You got washing machines. Ladies, aren't you glad you don't have to beat your clothes on a rock? That's over with. Amen. No more beating your clothes on a rock and I don't know about the men. We, hey, we get in tractors now and, and we can do our fields. We don't have to sit stand behind horses and, and all that. But you have dryers. You have blenders and food processors. Email and texting. And you don't have to sit down and write a letter. It's too long. It's laborious. Oh, you may even have to take the, the pencil and sharpen it. But you just, bam, that's done. Zoom. I'm done. I have all these time-saving devices, but I don't pray. You know what I use that time for something else? Find my little God and, and spend time with it. Maybe it's myself. And maybe it's just not important. Maybe you find yourself, you have nothing to say. 
It's like you haven't you haven't seen somebody for a long time. You should have something to say, but you have nothing to say to God. It's not important to you. But the problem is you don't know him. Philippians chapter three, if you just turn over there. Philippians chapter three. You know, Paul had a lot of things Pharisee of the Pharisees. I believe he was part of the Sanhedrin. He had power. He had position. He also had a lot of pride. He had a lot of possessions. There's all your peas for you. That's a preaching sermon there. But he had it all. And in verse 7, chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3 and in verse 7, But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung. He didn't get upset. He said, I count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in Him. Christian, we are not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Why, Paul? That I may know Him. And the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. That I may know Him. That I may just get to know Jesus Christ more and more and more and understand just who He is and be closer to Him. You're going to have to spend time in the book to find that out. And the more time you spend in the Bible, you should spend more time in prayer. Because you have a lot to talk to Him about. You find out how short you fell from the from the standard. And you say, Lord, I want to be like You, but I'm way down here. God, help me to be a better Christian. Help me to walk with You. There's a thousand things to talk about. So what does time spent with God reveal for us? Whether you've spent a minute or an hour, I believe prayer reveals our true relationship with God. Now, that does not mean that somebody that spends an hour on their knees somehow becomes super, super Christian. What I'm saying is you will find yourself spending more and more time in prayer. And not just praying for you, praying for others. It, it'll just come natural. As you read the Bible, as you spend more time knowing Him, because many of us would admit that our prayer life is shallow at best. It's one inch deep and a mile wide. It has no depth to it anymore. It's one, two, three, and I'm out the door. But I'm not preaching at you. I'm, I'm, we need to get a hold of God again. We need to pray. I think it's the basis for revival in the church. You know, the Mississippi River is one of the biggest rivers in the world. I think fourth or fifth in the world. And uh, it starts all the way up in northwest Minnesota. The source is actually Lake Itasca. And it's not that big of a lake. Some parts of it are only 10 meters, uh, 10 meters wide and, and a few meters deep. But that's where the source of the mighty Mississippi is. They travel some 2,500 miles through 10 states down to the Louisiana Delta in the United States. But it starts out deep and clear, pure and clean. But by the time it gets down to Louisiana, it's shallow and dirty. It's a delta now. And a lot of other rivers have Go into it. The Ohio River, the Missouri, all go into that river. They're tributaries. And a lot of other stuff gets poured into that Mississippi that started out so clean and fresh and deep. And now it's dirty. And it's shallow. And that's what happens to our prayer life. 
started out where we just wanted to talk to him. We, we just found a new friend, capital F. He became our friend. And we wanted to talk to him. And now our prayer life is just shallow like the Mississippi. You know why? Because we got to get back to the source. we got to get back to God and knowing him if we're going to have a, a prayer life that means anything. We need to get back to the source. You know, the greatest prayer. What is the greatest prayer? Well, the greatest prayer is the one that you pray. Because there's a lot of prayers that aren't being prayed. And if we prayed them, God may just answer. He will give you an answer, yes, no, or wait, but the greatest prayers are just the ones that we pray. Why? Because He hears my voice. Look, we know who God is. He spoke the worlds into existence. But He says, what do you have to say to me today? I want to hear from you. He hears my voice. No matter where I am and no matter how loud I am, no matter how off my tone, God is listening. He hears me. I love Him for that. And you do too. It's one of the reasons you love God is because He listens and He hears your voice. He inclines His ear. He leans in. I like the idea that He inclines. Can you imagine Almighty God sitting on His throne? What does Lily have to say to me today? It's almost like anytime I talk to um, Ashe, I have to lean in. <laughs> so Ashe, how was your weekend? Or how, what what'd you do yesterday? It's like a little mouse. Speak up. That's as loud as she gets, man. So what do I have to do? And you know what, Sunday, Kemi, you do the same thing with your children. What can I do for you? What, what do you need? How can I help? I'm able to help. And you lean in and you listen. God does the same thing. God leans in and says, why don't you cry out to me? Tell me on your heart. Tell me what you need. Because I am able to do something about it. I can supply your needs. That's what a supplication is. I need something from God. He says, I can do I can do that. He really does care, you know. He really does care when you're tucked away in your bedroom on your knees. He's listening to your prayer. He's not far away. He wants to know what you have to say. Just like you care about your children. God cares about His children. And when a a million voices are coming at Him, each one gets His attention. (laughs) What kind of God is that? That can hear every prayer and answer every prayer according to His will. Are Christians praying? As I say, the real question is, are you praying? How much time do you devote to personal prayer? To time with God? Because prayer changes things. Prayer changes things. If it wasn't so, God wouldn't tell us to pray. He wants us to pray. To show us who we are and who He is. But let me show you something. 2 Chronicles chapter 7. 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Prayer changes things, Christian. Solomon is, the temple's been built. Solomon is dedicated. God's come down and said, I will inhabit this place with my people. And in verse 12, 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and in verse 12, And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, 
I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself for in a house of sacrifice. And if I shut up heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, if I allow all this stuff to happen, if I bring it to pass, if this is my will to do this, look at verse 14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will hear their land. I'll change what I was going to do. If my people turn, I'll turn. And I will not happen. I won't bring the pestilence. I won't destroy your crops. If my people humble themselves and pray, He can heal Ireland. He can do that. He can keep them from passing that abortion bill. He can do whatever He wants to do. Or do we even care? Or are we just going to allow the pestilences, the things to come upon our lands? I'm praying for America. It burdens my heart for what's going on over in America. It burdens my heart what goes on in Ireland. It burdens my heart wherever I am. I have children over there. I couldn't stand to see. I don't know. All right. We won't have to get political. It's breaking my heart. It's a nation in decline. Right before your eyes. And you know why? Because they turn from God. That's why the light's gone out. Ichabod's written over America. Don't you, don't you forget that. And again, the same thing happened in Ireland. You know, at least it reminds us who we are and who God is. Every time you get on your knees, you go, wow, who am I talking to? My prayers aren't just going up the ceiling. They're going to a throne of grace. Talking to you, Lord. And you're listening to me. The greatest prayer that you can pray is your prayer. That's the greatest prayer. The one that you pray. But as weak and as powerless and as frail as we are, God is just the opposite. He is all-powerful. He is able to do all things. There's nothing too hard for him. Nothing. But there are six reasons we don't pray. And the first one is unbelief. Now, some of these are going to hit home. Some of them are going to be like sandpaper. Because it's, a, it's, it's where you live right now. It's where you are. But you need to take it and say, all right, now I see it. I want to change. This isn't about others. <laughs> this is about you and me. It's about me. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Six reasons we don't pray. Hebrews 11. Verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. You can't come to God and not believe who He is. You can't come to Him and seek Him and not believe in what He can do. And that He is who He said He is. He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. We simply don't believe. We just don't believe God. 
Is there anything too hard for God? Is there anything too hard for God? No. Well, why don't we believe that He can answer our prayer? Do you believe that He can do what you're asking Him to do? You know, I was telling, um, I think it was Wednesday night in McCroom there, that, you know, we preach a gospel. But sometimes we preach the gospel, or people have preached the gospel, they don't even believe it. There nobody gets saved. We're preaching the gospel we don't even believe. Maybe that person's not saved. There's plenty of people in pulpits right now preaching, they're not even saved. I believe the gospel I preach. I believe when it goes out, God's going to cause it to either make, they make a decision to receive Christ or to reject Him. I believe that. There's no in-between. Do we pr- believe the prayers that we're praying? Do you believe that He can do what you're asking Him? If you do, then you need to pray in faith. We're not getting crazy with some charismatic faith promise and our faith praying and all that. Yeah, you got to have faith when you pray. you got to believe God. Can you imagine your, your children asking you for something they don't even believe you're going to give it to them? I need a new pair of runners. Look at the holes in these. But I know you're not going to get them, so I don't even know why I'm asking. That would be a silly way to pray to God, wouldn't it? But we do. We don't believe. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. So great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. I've always believed that the sin which so easily besets us is unbelief. It's the one that affects everyone. He just got done, Paul, writing a whole chapter on faith. He opens up chapter 12, which obviously we put our chapters in there, and I believe they're ordained of God to be there to help us read the Bible. But he's just flowing right on into the next, into the next set of verses. And he says, he says, well, what about the sin that does so easily beset us? That's unbelief. He just preached the whole chapter on faith. And now he's saying the sin which so easily besets you and I is not to believe. Faithlessness. Unbelief. God can't do it. God won't do it. God can do it. And God will do it. Had you ever thought that way? God can do it. And He will save my brother. And that's the way I'm going to pray. And if God, and if it turns out the other way, it's not God's fault. But He's going to do it. I'm going to pray in faith and believe it. The problem is God hasn't changed. We have changed. Turn over another page. James chapter 1. And in verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. James 1.5 That giveth all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith. Nothing wavering. He can't. He can't. He's up. He's down. He, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Believe God. For let that man, verse 7, for let that not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. God's not impressed with double-mindedness. If you're wavering, God says, do you believe this or not? Do you want this answered prayer or not? Do you believe I can do it or not? Faith impresses God. 
That we're trusting Him and believing that He's going to do these things for us. That we're asking Him. Turn to Ephesians chapter 3. You know, Andrew has this impossible prayers. And uh, we've had some answers to what we believed were impossible prayers. Ephesians chapter 3. Look at Ephesians chapter 3. Look at the impossible prayer that we think is impossible. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. Now unto Him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Whatever you're thinking, God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that. Think, think big and God will think bigger. As big as you can think, God said, I can exceedingly abundantly above all that you can think or ask. So nothing's too hard for God. God's waiting for somebody to make Him stretch out and say, I'm going to show you my strong right arm. I'm going to show you what I can do. We, we just don't live like that anymore. They used to, maybe. Christians used to. But we don't live like that anymore. I know I would. Do you believe that? And God answer impossible prayers. Unbelief is one problem. The next one is weak flesh. You don't have to turn to Mark 14. You remember Jesus said, Peter, James, and John, would you go and pray with me just for a little while and I'm going to go a little farther? You remember in the Garden of Gethsemane when He poured out His heart to God? And uh, he asked those he asked those few disciples there to pray just for a little while while he went and prayed a prayer that said, "Nevertheless, not my will, but thy be done." Where he was getting ready to go to the cross and bear sin, he said, "Could you just pray for a little while? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation." And he went a stone's throw. He went a little farther to pray. Well, they didn't. They fell asleep. We have weak flesh. They failed, and so do we. Even when we're wide awake, we fail. We don't fall asleep. We, our flesh says, uh-uh, I ain't praying. What are you going to do about it? I don't feel like going in and kneeling down in some room and, and waiting for you to figure out what you want to say to God. We ain't doing it. We're going to go out and get something to eat. The flesh is in charge. We have weak flesh in the sense that we are not bringing it under subjection. And I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But try praying for an hour. And find out how strong your flesh is. We're weak in the sense that our flesh doesn't want to do it. Our flesh does not want to pray. That carnal nature is embedded in there. That sin nature is embedded in there. And it does not want to be on its knees waiting for us to pray. Just try praying for an hour. And you'll know that carnal nature, that sin nature will come up and say, Would you stand up and go out and do something? Stop kneeling by your bed. The devil will try to put a thought in your mind. Your flesh will scream for you to quit. Stop praying. Get up. Shut up. That's your flesh. It's weak. It doesn't want to do that. Now turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're looking at some scriptures today. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and in verse 26, Paul says we're in a race. We're running a race. We need to do some training. We need to get ready to run the race and finish the race. 
stay in our lanes, do it the way God has called us to do it. I therefore so run not as uncertainly. Verse 26, so fight I not as one that beateth the air. He said, I'm focused. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached others, I myself should be a castaway. Paul said, I gotta take rule over my flesh. I gotta bring my flesh under control. I gotta force it down to its knees. I gotta force it to stay there. I'm gonna tell my voice to speak to God. Because it's my spirit that wants to do it. And I gotta tell my flesh, we're gonna do it. We're gonna fight. We're gonna get on our knees or we're gonna pray. You have to think, who is really in control? Your flesh or God? Who's in control of your life? Remember, the one that you yield to is your master. You'll find that you will not pray if your flesh is in control and you yield to your flesh. But if you bring it into subjection, you'll find yourself praying and spending time with God. And it'll only get sweeter and sweeter and sweeter the more time that you spend with Him. But your flesh is weak. You know what else happens? Turn to Revelation 2.4. You've left your first love. Jesus was talking about the different church ages and the first age he mentioned was Ephesus. Great church. Man. I mean, verse 3. Chapter 2, verse 3. And has borne all these trials and problems and and uh, and has patience and for my name's sake have labored and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Oh, you're chugging right along. We're chugging right along. But some of us have left our first love. We're not close to Him anymore. He's not our first love in our life. We're no longer enjoying the God's presence in our lives. Now, the next one, when we talk about sin, that's probably the reason. But we've gotten away from our time with God. We used to spend time with Him, but we don't now. We've gotten far away from our first love. It's just like a couple. Nothing could keep you apart. And then things cool down. Now, wait a minute. There's a maturing. She's laughing. It's not that you don't mature in your relationship and no, you're not ooey-gooey all the time anymore. Nine years, things have kind of, you know, you settled in, but you love each other. You still like to be in each other's presence. My best friend is sitting right over there. That's my best friend down here. That's my best friend. I'd rather spend time with her than anybody else besides Jesus. That's my best friend. And nothing can keep you apart. But then things cool. Sometimes people can be in the same house and don't even know each other. They don't want to be around each other. They don't want to be in each other's presence because something's gotten between you. Well, what's between you and your Savior? What's between you and God that you don't enjoy His presence anymore? And you've lost your joy. Psalm 16.11 says, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. You've lost your joy because you're not close to the joy giver. If you want joy, you've got to be close to the joy giver. And the joy giver is Jesus Christ. He's the one that can give you joy again. Priority one, fall in love with Him. Woo Him, do whatever you have to do to get back and fall in love with Jesus Christ. And you'll know that joy again. How much He loves me and how much I love Him. 
God commended his love toward us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What kind of love is that? I want that, I want that relationship back. Get to know him again and renew a love relationship with Jesus Christ. Talk to him in prayer and listen to him as you read your Bible in the morning. Don't leave your first love. But there could be sin in our lives. Turn to 1 John, just back page or two to the left. Page or two to the left, 1 John chapter 1. And in verse 5 says this, This then is the message which we have heard of Him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you have trouble, have trouble praying, it's probably because there's some sin embedded, tucked away in your heart. You've got it buried way down in there. You're going to have to let the light shine in. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we can have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus will cleanse it. He already knows. Why not let him shine the light so you can see it for what it is? You probably know. Maybe there's some that you've tucked away so far you, you wouldn't even know to confess them. He says he'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we begin to cleanse our, uh, ask for forgiveness for our sins, he'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness because he knows everything that's in your heart. But that's why you've moved away from talking to him. John Bunyan, the great preacher, said, Prayer will make a man cease from sin, as sin will entice a man to cease from prayer. You're not going to want to get down on your knees and humble yourself before a holy God, and neither would I. Not with sin in my life. But when you do have sin in your life, get on your knees and say, Lord, it's evident you know what's going on in my life. You know what I've done. I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm not going to cover it up. I'm not going to tuck it away. Not going to try to hide it. But the first things have to be first. You have to confess your sin. God forgives and cleanses sin, but He does not walk in it. He doesn't, he doesn't partake of it. But God says, I'm ready to cleanse it. I'm ready to, I'm ready to forgive you. You know, verse six, if we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie. And we do not the truth. It's hard to lie and walk with God. It won't happen. If you're lying, if you're, if something's in your heart and you keep lying about it, you can't walk with God, you can't fellowship with Him. It's not gonna happen. And that's why you don't pray. What's the sense? I certainly don't want the light shining on my sin. Why not get it taken care of? Proverbs chapter 28. Proverbs chapter 28. You ought to circle this verse or underline it or just circle Verse 13 in Proverbs 28. Because, and thank God for the butts, B-U-T. Thank God for the butts in the Bible. Especially in the book of Proverbs. You find there's one thing on one side of the butt, 
And there's something totally opposite on the other side of the butt. And be glad for that, because the fool acts this way and the wise man does this. You know? So it tells us how we should live our lives. But verse 13 says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. You want to cover it up? Then God withdraws. You confess it? Then God God comes close. God, God draws near. You confess it and forsake it? God will have mercy. He draws close to you. You want to harbor sin in your heart? God withdraws. It's up to us. Whether we want to cover it up or just say, Lord, you already know what it is. You just like your sin. We just want to keep sinning. Well, you won't be close to God. You don't cover it up. Don't tuck it away in a corner of your heart. Don't hide it. Hebrews 4.13 says this, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in His sight. But all things are naked and open under the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. We are, we're silly, aren't we, sometimes to think that God doesn't know that I've just sinned or that I'm just going to harbor this sin and tuck it away and hide it and nobody's going to know. We're deceiving ourselves. God says, I want to forgive you. Confess and forsake your sins and watch your relationship grow. It'll prosper spiritually because that's what it says. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. You're not going to grow in your relationship. It's only going to get worse. Just like the child that breaks the window and then lies about it to you. Go up to your room. Stay there until you own up to it. And come down and say, I'm sorry. I did it. I not only broke the window, you told me not to play out back and hit the, hit the ball in the back, but then I lied to you about it. And the parent is waiting for the child to humble themselves and ask forgiveness. Just waiting to take them in the arms and say, I forgive you. It's okay. It's still going to cost you a couple of weeks allowance, but it's okay. You're forgiven. You can come back down out of your room and we can have fellowship one with another. Here's one. Laziness. Colossians 4.12. Colossians 4.12. I found out who I want to be now in the Bible. I want to be Epaphras. Colossians chapter 4, verse 12. Paul, speaking to the church of Colossae, says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that ye may stand perfect and complete in the will of God. Wow. You know, it takes work. It takes labor. He's laboring fervently. I want to be an Epaphras. I want to labor. I know the work that it takes to pray for my own behalf, let alone to pray for someone else. But this says that Epaphras was laboring fervently on your behalf. That you might do the will of God. That you might know the will of God. Man, that's what I want to be. I want to be an Epaphras. I don't want to be lazy praying for others. Praying for other people. I have a prayer list that I know by heart, in my heart, that we use on Wednesday nights in McCroom. It's here in my heart. I can name you every single one. But there's some people that I haven't prayed for in a long time. And I'm looking at them. There's different people, you know. When God brings somebody to your remembrance, you ought to pray for them. 
And you may not know what, what to pray, but Lord, why did you bring that name up? Lord, whatever's going on, would you be there and take care of that? Give them some strength. I don't know what they need, but you do. That's Epaphras. We could be lazy and just say, I don't even, who cares? I just care about what's happening with me. <laughs> no. Epaphras was praying for the church. It's laboring. You know, you decide to pray. When you start to decide to pray, you'll find out how much help you need and how much strength you need. I put an illustration down. It was a long, long time ago when I started working uh, as a young fellow uh, down in Philadelphia Naval Shipyard, and they put me in the rigging department, and I started to develop a... I wanted to work for the iron workers in New York. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be an iron worker. I wanted to go up on the steel. I wanted to hang the steel. You see those crazy people walking on the beams, and then they... they they tie the beams together with the bolts and, and working with the crane and all that. I wanted to go into the, into the uh, uh, Iron Workers Union up in New York. Well, I found out how, how impossible that was going to be and how weak I really was because there was no way I was going to get into the Iron Workers Union. you got to know somebody. And when you start praying for impossible things, when you put something way up here that's, that's hard to attain, you'll find out how much help you need to get there. When you start praying, saying, I'm, I, I need to pray. It's something I need to do. You're going to find out how much help you need to do that from God. God, help me to pray more than five minutes. God, help me to pray for the needs of the church. God, help me to pray for my neighbors to be saved. God, help me to pray for my own family to be saved. Help me to stay on my knees a little longer than a few minutes. Or not at all. I saw that I needed help. If I was going to be in the iron workers in New York, I needed help. Well, that help wasn't going to show up. I didn't know anybody. I just had a dream. The Lord said, you're not going to hang steel. You're going to go up on wood. And he put me up on wooden hangers. So I still kind of got my, my dream. But it's labor. It's hard. It's diligent. You have to be diligent. You have to be earnest about it. It's going to take exertion and toil. You're going to have to do it when you don't want to do it. You're going to have to force yourself. You get on your knees and pray like Jesus did in the garden. He agonized, it says, didn't he? He agonized. It, it was such toil and exertion and prayer that the capillaries in his, in his forehead broke open and blood poured out with a sweat. He was agonizing in prayer. It wasn't easy. I've never been there. I've never agonized like that in prayer. We cried our tears. But Jesus will show you how to pray and agonize over doing the will of God. Pray like Epaphras for each other to grow and do the will of God. I'm counting on you. How's that? I'm counting on you to pray for me. This whole month, maybe we'll learn that. Brother Andrew, you know, how much we need each other to pray for each other. I mean, we know it, but we, but we don't do it. Maybe, maybe something will click inside each and every one of us. I need you to pray for me. I bet your pastor and Nita are saying, I need you to pray for me while I'm gone. I'm praying for you. You can launch a prayer missile 3,000 miles, man, right into Colorado. Just what they need. The last one there is to be faint-hearted. Luke chapter 18. We faint. 
Luke chapter 18. And in verse 1, you know the story. And here it says, And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Not to faint. You know, if we don't see instant answers to prayer, we quit. Oh well. God doesn't want to answer that prayer. We're done. Because we live in that age where things got to fly by us at 100 miles an hour. We can't keep our attention anymore. But we, we want everything right now. We want results right now. Believe me, I struggle with that. Patience. Something I struggle with. But we don't see instant answers to prayer and we faint. Look at verse 4 and 5. You know the story about this woman who came to this unjust judge and said, Avenge me of mine adversary. In verse 4, And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. She just is not going to stop. Now look, I'm not talking about women and nagging men. <laughs> I'm talking about an unjust judge. And the woman said, kept coming to him, looking to have herself avenged of her adversary. She didn't stop. She didn't give up. She was persistent. And it changed this unjust judge's heart. And he did something about it. We need to develop some spiritual muscles and some strong faith to just hang in there in prayer. An unjust judge acted, acted because of a persistent woman. And that's a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a picture of Him. If an unjust judge responds to persistence, what will a righteous God do for His own child? What's God going to do for you? Look at verse 6. In verse 6, And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust, unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge His own elect, which cry day and night unto Him, though He bear long with them? I tell you, He will avenge them speedily. Don't worry. God's going to avenge us of our adversary. In verse 6, He's not asking a question. That's a statement. Hear what the unjust judge saith. And God will do the same. If His children hang in there, and don't faint. How long have you been praying for somebody to be saved? I've been praying for my brother for 26 years. He is not saved. If it was important 26 years ago to pray about, why in the world would I quit now? If it was so important, why isn't it important now? He's 26 years further down the road. 71 years old. Who knows? I told you, I lost my nephew. He lost his son. 46 years old. You don't know when he's going to die. You don't know when someone's going to die. You don't know when it's over. So I keep praying for him. I'm not going to faint. If it was worth praying then, it's worth praying now. Don't give up on your lost loved ones. Keep praying for them. You know, Colossians 4.2 says, Continue in prayer and watching the same with thanksgiving. We've got a lot to be thankful for, don't we? He died on the cross for our sins. I think we need to be thankful for that. We serve a great God, a great Savior, and He's easy to love. And He's easy to talk to. I want to close with two more prayers. But first, and let me just say, why are they so great? Because they were prayed. Because they were prayed. But first, 
Luke 22, 39, where Jesus was in the garden saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. And nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. That prayer, that prayer led to this prayer. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That prayer that stood him back up and said, i got to go to the cross. I'm going to bear the sin of the world. That's what was bothering him. Sin in the purity of a holy God. He was going to become sin for us who knew no sin. Separation from God. That's what he was dealing with. This cup, shall I not drink it? But when he prayed that prayer and said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine, then this prayer was able to be prayed. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And he opened up salvation for us because of two prayers that he prayed that revealed his heart and his desire to see people forgiven, to see anyone who trusted in him, they could be forgiven. He opened up the way of salvation by going to the cross. Now these prayers, very quickly. Psalm 51. This is for the Christian. This is for the Christian. Psalm 51. I'm going to read four verses. I'm glad this prayer was prayed. Psalm 51. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. This is David, we know, praying. And that's, to me, this is how a Christian should pray to get forgiveness from God. To go there humble, asking for forgiveness, acknowledging your sinfulness. And that's what David did in verse 3. I acknowledge my transgression. My sin is ever before me. I see it and so do you. Would you cleanse me? Forgive me. Verse 7, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Why do we not want to go there? Why do we not want to be clean and and whole again and get our joy back? Make me to hear joy and gladness in verse 8. That the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Verse 12, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Uphold me with thy free spirit. So I'm back in fellowship again with God. Why? We can be whole again. And verse 13 says, Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. And I can be used again. God can use you again. Maybe God's not using you because there's sin in your life. You need to confess it. And get clean again. And get restored. As I said before, it's hard to have joy and be far away from the joy giver. Let me just read to you here. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and in verse 11 says this. It says, And such were some of you. You are washed, you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now all the things that were Mentioned before that, fornicators, adulterers, drunkards, revilers, extortioners. We fit in there somewhere. And God says, you know what I've done? You were that, but I've washed you clean. I know what I was. And He washed me clean. 
And then He sanctified me. That means He set me apart. Made me holy so that He could pour His Holy Spirit into me and use me. There's no throwaway Christians. Anyone can be used again of God. If you're far away from Him, confess your sin and restore yourself and have your joy come back and be used of God. But you are justified. You can be pardoned. Forgiven. There's no throwaway Christians. God wants to use you again. And David was completely cleansed and made fit for service again. He was going to teach transgressors their ways. Why? Because he prayed a prayer. He asked God and he was forgiven. One more. Luke chapter 18. We were just there. Go back. Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. You know that Pharisee, he got up, he was in the temple, and he was telling God what a wonderful guy he was. He was telling the Lord, I fast, and I do this, and I give to the poor, and I do all these wonderful things. And these other people, these extortioners, and these adulterers, and and that publican over there in the corner, I'm not like them. God wasn't impressed. But in verse 13, it says, And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up his, so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful unto me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. He was conscious of his guilt. He knew he needed to repent. He knew his condition, and he knew his need. Now look, prayers don't save you. There's no sinner's prayer in the Bible. You must repent, turn, change your attitude about your sin, and then by faith, by faith, trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. That's Bible. Jesus preached it. John preached it. Peter preached it. Paul preached it. Repentance and faith towards God. Repentance towards God and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we need to do. Believe on Jesus Christ. The prayer doesn't save you. It's the words. Confess with your mouth, but believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. This man knew that he was lost. And he just beat on his breast and said, Lord, be merciful unto me, a sinner. He just asked for God's mercy. He asked to be saved. And he went home justified. Just as if he never sinned. Right with God again. Two great prayers. Let me ask you first, Christian, are you in need of a cleansing? Hopefully there's some honest people out there saying, yeah, I could, I could do for a good cleansing. I could do for a good washing in the blood of Jesus Christ today. I'm just like David. Why don't you just simply talk to God? You don't have to wait until I'm done with my little four points here on the conclusion. You can bow your head now and do that. What I'm saying is, if you want to get right with God, why don't you just simply talk to Him and ask Him to forgive you? Who would who would be here today that is just conscious of their guilt? You're willing to do something about it today. Like that publican. You're humbled and you're broken by sin. You know you're lost. You know you're not saved. You know you've been playing a game. People may think you are, but you're not saved. And you'd beat on your chest and just talk to God and say, Lord, save me. You know, this whole month is about changing 
about prayer changing hearts. Asking for impossible things from God who's able to do impossible things. Why don't you pray and let God change your heart right now? And remember this, the greatest prayer is the one that you pray. You won't know until you start praying and asking God for some things that you need in your life. Maybe we just need to pray and ask God to forgive us and cleanse us. Let's pray. I certainly don't have to tell you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Why don't you just talk to God for a minute? Take care of your own business with the Lord. While you do that, can I just ask if you're saved here today, you need to do business with God. If you're not saved, if you're not sure you're saved, you're not sure you're born again. You have questions about that. You're just not sure. I would ask you just to look up at me right now. No one else is looking around. Would you just look up at me? When you're looking up at me, you're saying, I don't know that I'm saved. Amen. Christian, let's do business with the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that it is just as simple as this, just to bow our heads and talk to you. Father, we thank you, Lord, for what we just learned today about some of the things that are holding us back from having a deeper, stronger relationship with you. Our prayer life has been nil. We don't talk to you anymore. We don't spend time with you anymore. We might read a chapter in the Bible and we're out the door. We don't even talk to you, Lord. Imagine how long a relationship can last without people talking to each other. Lord, I pray the Christians are getting right with you even now. They're asking you to forgive them of some secret sin they've been holding on to. Nobody else knows. They know. And you know. And you're the one that we have to do with. Father, I pray that there may be some asking for a cleansing right now. Father, those prayers that we pray in our closets, you said you would reward us openly. Maybe we need to go home and spend some time in prayer. Talking to God. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you answer prayer. Thank you, Lord, for all the impossible prayers that we thought from years ago. We've seen answers to those prayers. And I pray that this month we remember that you can do the impossible. There's nothing too hard for you. We're praying for our loved ones to be saved. May God just go ahead and save them. Open their heart again. Send somebody to their door to hand a tract. We're 3,000 miles away. Oh, Father, have somebody pester them with the gospel. God, please, save our lost loved ones. Help our, help our families, the husbands and wives, to draw closer together, to love each other, to take care of their children. Strengthen the church, Lord, that we, like Epaphras, might pray for each other, laboring fervently, that we each would be doing the will of God. Father, this whole month, I'm looking, so looking forward to hearing the preachers and the answers to prayer. Father, bless us with your presence now in our hearts, in our lives. For some have already asked for a cleansing. And you draw close to that. Father, we love you. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.